Welcome to the Contractor's Best Friend podcast, sponsored by Caterpillar and 4constructionpros.com. I'm your host, Brad Humphrey, and today I'm joined in the studios with Jason Hurtis. He's our Caterpillar construction uh, materials, quarry, and aggregate specialist, and Lonnie Fritz, our specialist with heavy construction and road building. Guys, it's great to have you again. Topic today is the importance of matching equipment with the type of work produced. And before I, I, Jason, I'm going to start with you in just a moment. But before I do that, you know, just this past year, speaking at a few conferences, including the World of Concrete, it's amazing how many times this decision comes up with contractors. And instead of getting into the details, can we back up a bit? And Jason, can you kick us off? What What's the overriding concern that, that contractors should have when they're trying to match equipment with the type of work that they're doing? I think the number one rule or where you want to start is what are you doing? You know, what is the application? And then go to the tool. What tool do I need for that job or that application? And then move into the machine by starting with the work that you want to have completed the tools that you'll need to complete that work, it's a lot easier to back into the machine or the machine platform or type that's required to perform that work. Lonnie, in your experience working with the heavy construction guys and the road road building, can you add to that a little bit? What might be some insights that you've shared or experienced with contractors regarding the equipment matched with the work? You know, commonly a contractor looks at you know, the work that they are estimating and bidding and trying to look at those different work items and applications that the machines are going to have to perform. And the next thing to look to is their fleet. You know, what do we have in our fleet, given that we get this bid um, that we can use uh, to perform this work in uh, the most efficient and productive way possible? And that's intentional, you know, a Caterpillar strategy and what we're doing here at Caterpillar um, to offer a wide range of products services and technology uh, to best align with each and every one of those applications that the customer is trying to accomplish. And making that next step, Jason, when, when you're working with the contractors involved with, especially the, obviously the materials and the quarry and the aggregates areas, are you, are you finding that they are backing off from the type of equipment that, that, that they're looking to purchase? Are they looking to to find something that is smaller, more mobile? Is that, how are they meeting those kind of needs when it comes to the physical application of what that equipment's going to have to be working at? Well, it's kind of twofold um, to answer that particular question, Brad. I mean, right now, availability of, of equipment's a little constrained. Yeah. So they're looking at other avenues, you know, rather than purchasing, do I do, I do a short-term rental? Do I do a, a mid to longer-term rental? Do I go into a lease-type option? So those kind of acquisitions are, are, I think, playing a lot more in the marketplace today with the constraints that, that the manufacturers are seeing than what they did in the past. Um, and then the other answer, the other part of the coin is once they have that machine, they clearly want to maximize the efficiency of it. So they're trying to squeeze every ounce of performance and every ounce of efficiency and versatility out of every machine that they have. Um, you know, moving it into different jobs, broaden it with different work tools, different technologies, to expand the capabilities of that machine for additional jobs so they don't have to, again, go back to the well and, and try to acquire additional equipment or new equipment to fit the need. Yeah. Lonnie, one of the things that I've come, that I've come to, to understand here just recently, and it really relates to the shortage in the workplace, 
have you noticed or, or have you had discussions with contractors? Are they are they even considering uh, in the equipment that they might be purchasing how they're going to maintain that to make sure they're getting the right equipment still to match with the work they're doing, but be able to have equipment that may be a, a, a better warranty program or at least a, a better record of maintenance uh, that can sustain that that equipment? Yeah, and that's getting, you know, as you ask that question, getting a little bit more machine-centric um, in looking at maintenance and repair and and matching that machine. I always like to say, and you've heard me say it before, matching the machine to the mission, right? Right. Um, There are many, many choices out there, and it really plays into safety. You know, is the machine undersized? Is it oversized? If it's oversized, we start looking at maneuverability. If it's undersized, there's a high probability that we could be um, increasing our safety risk. Um, we also always, like we've mentioned already, is the productivity and efficiency. Right. You know, in Jason's line of work, it's the lowest cost per ton, per se, in construction materials. On the construction side, it's the lowest cost per unit, right? The foot, the ton, uh, bank cubic yard, for example. So that all um, plays into making sure we're wa- watching, um, matching, again, and selecting that proper machine um, to be as profitable as we can. And, and, you know, I, I gotta go there, Brad, and that is the skilled labor shortage, right. you know, and like you mentioned, the customers that I talk to and interact with almost on a daily basis, the number one pain point continues to be the skilled labor shortage. There's all kinds of articles out there today right. with what growing demand there is, and unfortunately a dwindling supply of labor. Right. And where I'm heading with that is, is if we have the right machine, it's going to help that operator, um, best perform in the skill gap that we have currently in front of us. So if we take a more novice, lesser experienced operator and we put them in a machine that's not matched to the task, it's going to be even more challenging for that lesser experienced operator um, to do the best possible job that he or she can. That's exactly what what I was uh, wanted to kind of hear because it confirms what I dealt with at some of these shows just in the past few months, World of Concrete and a few other trade shows. And it's been an interesting comment about they're in the process of purchasing equipment. They're actually, this first time I've heard this, and I don't know that I've ever heard it except in the last year or so, that they're actually thinking of the type of equipment that they have people who can maintain it. Uh, and I don't mean, you know, if it's under warranty, obviously that'll be covered, but but they're actually considering the type of people they have. And because they're getting a maybe a less uh, educated individual on equipment, because we're, these guys are retiring, um, and so many of them are, that they're finding it difficult to, to, to find those who can maintain that equipment. And it, it's impacting the way they make decisions on purchase of equipment. Let me switch over for just a moment. Another thing you said, Lonnie, I thought was really good. It was You touched on the safety issue. Jason, let me pick this up with you. Certainly heavy construction and road building has its, it has its safety risk for sure. But I can't think of a greater risk environment in construction than, than people who are working in quarries and, and mines and that type of thing. How does safety play a part in what a contractor might look at in terms of matching equipment, again, with the dangerous work that sometimes their guys are involved with? Well, I think it's fundamental to to any type of quarry operation. You look at some of the hours that they're running now, Brad, some are running two shifts, some are running three. Mm-hmm. Um, some are working weekends. Um, you look at the time of the year, you know, daylight savings time, spring ahead, fall back, that's all changing the working hours. So I think the safety aspects as far as the type of lighting on the machines, um, you know, is definitely a consideration based on what their what their work type is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and a lot of manufacturers have put more and more safety equipment standard in all the machines. Rear view cameras, for example, it's pretty hard to find a machine today that does not have a rear view camera of some sort. Um, even on skid steers, the rear view cameras are available. Yeah. Obviously, in the larger mining equipment, it's critical because you, you know, you do have some blind spots behind you. You're nine times the size of a pickup truck, for example. Uh, 360 degree cameras where it's like your cars or trucks today where you can get kind of a bird's eye view of what's completely around that machine. Those are becoming more and more popular. Uh, Radar detection systems, uh, much like cars or trucks, that's coming into the construction industry um, and the quarry uh, customers have really embraced that. So you get kind of an audible alarm or a colored scale as you get closer to a, an obstacle, whether it's a high wall or the boss's pickup truck, et cetera. And then there's things such as driver safety systems that will monitor a truck driver's eyes and vibrate the seat and send an alert to the manager, et cetera, to, to kind of make the job site uh, more efficient, obviously be keeping, keeping the people more efficient and clearly safer than we've ever, ever been before. Jason, can I, can I interrupt you real quick? Can you go back and expand on that last point just a bit? I don't know if some, some uh, contractors or listeners to the podcast may have even heard that before. Uh, the, the driver safety system, Brad, the DSS. Yeah, yeah. That's a system that you can put in an off-highway truck, and it's basically a, um, a camera that looks at the face of the operator. Yeah. In layman's terms, it's a really sensitive camera. So it can distinguish between a blink of the eyes, a long blink of the eyes, or someone actually starting to nod off. And once it, once it uh, notices that someone's starting to nod off in the truck, um, it'll, the very first thing it'll do is try to alert the driver, the operator themselves, either with a vibration or an in-cab alarm. Mm. Um, and if it happens two or three times, um, then they start to notify the manager or the supervisor so that they can do some type of intervention, get the gentleman out of the, or the lady out of the cab for a while, change drivers, change routines, change haul routes, uh, something again to help stimulate the driver so that they're not dozing off on the haul road, for example. Yeah. That's awesome. That's just, I mean, it's just where we're going, isn't it? Technology wise. Lonnie, let me come back to you and, and maybe start us out. And, and Jason, I'll let you follow up to this. But the, the topic of today's podcast was the importance of matching equipment with the type of work uh, that we're doing. Lonnie, starting with you, what, what would be some advice you'd give to a contractor when they are in that search? I know that Jason said early, I always start at the end, you know, what, what are we actually producing? What are we doing? And I get that, but give us some guidelines or some insights, uh, advice on how to match that equipment then. To Jason's point, once you have determined, you know, what is the task at hand? What is the problem I'm trying to solve? Um, I've identified the machine. If you're looking to expand on the machine here, Brad, um, you're looking at, you know, how do I configure that machine? Again, Caterpillar has a wide range of choices. We have, if you will, different trim levels um, for those very familiar with the automotive industry. So how do we configure that machine? And obviously technology always continues to be a big uh, decision-making part of that. Um, you know, it, when you're looking at accuracy, if you look at grade control, um, not only am I looking at the accuracy a motor grader can give me maybe versus am I in a smaller um, application with a skid steer with a box blade. So now that's a size conversation, right? Now when I look at configuring what technology do I need, what precision am I looking for? Is it millimeter accuracy? Is it golf ball size accuracy? Am I just trying to um, do mass excavation? Um, so when you look at the product itself, 
um, that's where you really want to consult with your cat dealer and make sure that you have every um, aspect, every option, every choice laid in front of you um, and and matching again, that, uh, that configuration, you know, you get into dozers, it's an undercarriage conversation. It's what type of blade do I have on the front? You get into an excavator, it's back to undercarriage. Again, do I need a quick coupler on the front? Which work tool or attachment do I use? What about counterweight? Do I need to upsize my counterweight? Um, do I need a variable gauge versus a fixed gauge machine? So all those things play into, I've identified what I have to do. Now, where do I possibly start? Um, with the type of machine that will best serve uh, this application. And, and at the end of the day, what are we all trying to do? We're trying to meet those production targets that the estimating department has given us so we can be profitable. It's awesome. It was just really well put. Uh, Jason, do you have any final thoughts on that that might be able just to, to uh, strengthen uh, even just the, the great insights Lonnie just gave us? Well, my world's a little bit simpler than chlorine aggregates because we're pretty much a factory without a roof. Yeah. So once you have your material density and your material type yeah. figured out, yeah, then it then it goes to bucket size, boom height, um, pass match with the with the hauling systems, your production needs, your KPIs, the other metrics that you may have, safety equipment, technology, and then uh, you're kind of limited to do you want radial tires or bias ply tires. So things in my world get a little bit simpler. Um, than the heavy construction where, you know, they're looking to maximize the versatility in various job sites and various ground conditions. But again, it starts with what are you trying to do in any application? What's the material type? How much do you need to move? How fast do you need to move it? If you have those basic answers, then it's easy to consult and figure out here's the best machine for the lowest cost per ton uh, to, to achieve your production rates or your production needs. You guys, you guys again have delivered. You're so you're so unbelievable. You kind of remind me of the professional golfers. They just make that hard shot look so easy. I really do appreciate the insight, Jason, that you and Lonnie have brought into this uh, topic today. If you're listening to the podcast, I invite you to listen again uh, because the advice that Jason Hurtis and Lonnie Fritz gave you it can can be worth gold for you, uh, as well as the safety issues that come along with all of those things. There's so many options out there, and we're just trying to help you make make the best choice possible. It's been my pleasure to be your host. Hey, have a great day and be safe moving ahead. Enjoy our podcast? Well, then check out 4constructionpros.com for industry articles and webinars featuring Caterpillar's experts, Jason Hurtis, Lonnie Fritz, and Scott Hagelman. 